You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrgs.nl. Now, let's get into the podcast. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning to those of you who are watching from home, including my two sweet daughters, Lily and Sophia. Hope you're doing great. You only have to watch for five minutes, okay? Then you can go play. Hey, uh, if you've been around, you might know we've been in the middle of our I Am series where we're uh, following the I Am sayings of Jesus in the book of John. And we're meeting Jesus on his own terms. Uh, who are you, Jesus? What, what does Jesus say of himself? And in these seven, seven sayings, Jesus is revealing something to us about his nature and who he is. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. Last week we looked at, I am the door. Next week we'll look at, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And this week uh, we're looking at the fifth I am saying, uh, which is, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. What we just sang so beautifully. This fifth sign in the book of John, there's a total of seven, it coincides uh, with the seventh and final sign that Jesus does in this book. That's right. There's seven I am sayings, and then there's seven signs. John loves the number seven. There's seven seals, seven angels, seven trumpets. Though that's a different book. Uh, But he loves this. So the, the title for today's message is The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead. Because in John chapter 11, where Jesus makes this statement, the dead are found to be walking. And our key text today comes from John 11, verse 17 to 27, and 38 to 44. So it's a little bit of text, and I'm going to read through it for us. If you want to read along, it's John chapter 11, verse 17 to 27, and then we'll skip over that to 38. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet will he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And then we jump from there to verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he's been dead four days. 
Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Amen. This is the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. People think different things when they think about Lazarus and, and his resurrection. One of the interesting things about the Dutch language is the word Lazarus, uh, when you say that you are Lazarus, uh, it means that you're, you're intoxicated, you're drunk. Uh, I don't know, maybe it has something to do with, with the fact that, you know, as, a, as Lazarus was coming out of the grave, he was walking like a drunk man would walk. If you'd like to be uh, creeped out for fun, maybe you've heard of The Walking Dead, the series that I borrowed my, uh, my sermon title from. Uh, I was once with uh, Lydia and some, some in-laws. We were in the United States visiting Universal Studios in California. We were having a great time, so many fun rides, giant donuts that we were eating. And uh, it, was, it was early in the afternoon, and we... Uh, we stumbled upon this ride or attraction, and it was called The Walking Dead. Now, I don't really watch horror movies or shows because I don't like to be creeped out for fun. Uh, but someone said, hey, you know, let's, let's go into this ride. And so we said, okay, let's, let's go into it. So I, I blame this story on group peer pressure, okay, just so you know. So we're going there, and we're standing in the ride. And, and as we're approaching the entrance, I realize this, this is not like a roller coaster ride that I had imagined. So as we're entering, we're entering not like a, uh, you know, like a ride, but we're entering, it's, it's a hospital. It's a hospital space, and something has awfully gone wrong there. Uh, I see there are chairs uh, knocked over, tables are knocked over, there's glass on the floor, uh, there might have been some blood on the walls, and so it's actually, we're, we're walking through this hospital, there's eerie music playing, and then I hear screams in the distance. So I'm starting to get a little nervous. And uh, as we're rounding a corner, it gets pitch black. It's super dark. And before I know it, this guy jumps up. He's, he's dressed in rags, and he's wearing a huge deformed face, and he just starts screaming into my face super loudly. And uh, so I, I did what any good husband would do at that point. <laughs> I pushed Lydia into his arms, and I made a run for it. It's not happening today, zombie. <laughs> Seven years of marriage, and I'm still making up for that event, yeah. <laughs> I was in uh, Cyprus for a while, and on Easter Sunday, people would greet each other saying, Christos Anesti, Christ is risen. And that's kind of maybe what some of us think about when we see this uh, when we see and hear about the story of Lazarus and his resurrection, is that it actually points to the resurrection of Jesus, which I think is right. Here in John chapter 11, we've arrived at a particularly tense time in the ministry of Jesus. Things have gotten really, really 
tense. There's a constant struggle in John's book between Jesus and the religious Jews. And whenever Jesus does a major sign or makes a major claim, it's followed by a rejection of some of the Jews and faith on the part of some others. This happens at the wedding in in Cana. Uh, This happens when Jesus is cleansing the temple. And this happens in this story too. Because John says he writes his gospel with the purpose that we may believe. The Sanhedrin at this point, the religious Jewish uh, uh, ruling authority in Jerusalem, wants to kill Jesus. In chapter 10, they picked up stones and they tried to stone him. It's so interesting, you know, I always thought Jews are always, these Jews are always picking up stones to kill Jesus. And I'm like, where do they find these stones? If you go around here, you don't see a lot of rocks lying around, let alone rocks that could kill somebody. Uh, but if you're in Israel, and I would highly recommend you go sometime, there's rocks literally everywhere, and there are some big rocks that you can hurt somebody with. Things have gotten tense between Jesus and the Jews. Jesus is now actually dwelling in desert places outside of the temple jurisdiction so that they cannot arrest him. The Jews are looking for his life. This story is important for us, not only because it points to the resurrection and because the resurrection has become central to the gospel, according to Paul, who says, if you believe that God raised Jesus up from the dead in your heart and confess with your mouth that that is true, you will be saved. The resurrection of Jesus, to which this event points, has become central to our faith and our gospel statement. But moreover, we want to see why does Jesus perform this sign at this moment? What was the response of his disciples and his audience? And what does God today want to speak to us about our response to Jesus and to this amazing statement and miracle? And so I just want to look at two things. The first point, I think, that we can draw from this passage is super rich. If you want to read through it with your life group, I would highly recommend it this week. It's a very long chapter, but it's super rich. First point is that Jesus is the resurrection. And the second is that Jesus needs to be believed. There needs to be a faith response on the part of the people of God. Amen? So John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet will he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I think death is a universal experience. I think when you come of age, when you're about 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, for the first time you're confronted with the finiteness of your own life and you start thinking about your life's purpose and meaning. For most of us, probably, we have experienced death in some shape or form. Maybe the loss of a loved one. Maybe the loss of a friend or a colleague at work. Death is a universal experience. There's this poem by uh, the poet Dylan Thomas, which you might have heard in uh, the movie Interstellar. And he writes about the, the universal experience of death and the injustice of death. And he writes this. He says, do not go gentle into that good night, the night of death. 
old age should burn and rave at close of day, but rage, rage against the dying of the light. Death is an, death is an injustice. And there's different ways we try to overcome it, right? For some of us, we just, we ignore it. We just choose to ignore it. We just go through life. I'm not going to go to any funerals. I'm not going to watch any sad stories. I'm not going to have pets that can die. I'm going I'm to close myself off from anything negative, and I'm just going to live my life and deal with that later. I'm just going to ignore it. Maybe drink it away or think it away. And some of us have gone completely on the other end, and we're starting to celebrate death. Create a death culture where death as a badge of honor. Or even pretend like it's no big deal at all. Celebrate it. Make a party when someone dies. No mourning. Pretend it doesn't matter. But I think in the biblical sense, death is always portrayed as our arch enemy. When Adam and Eve sinned, death was to follow. When Israel departed from the worship of the one true and loving God, when they forgot the poor, when they forgot to be merciful to the immigrant, death, chaos, destruction floods the land like the flood of Noah. N.T. Wright says this about death. Death is an intruder and a violator of the Creator's good world. The Creator's answer to death cannot be to reach some type of agreement or compromise. But death must be, has been, and will be defeated. And in John chapter 11, we find the Creator and death at a standoff. It's almost like a, a western where two cowboys are, are facing each other and there's a standoff. Who's going to win? The Creator is facing the great arch enemy, death. Who is going to overcome who? And before Jesus does anything and makes his statement, I am the resurrection and the life, first what he does is he raises the stakes. Uh, maybe we can pull up the, the timeline of, uh, of this story. Uh, here's, a, here's a little interpretation of mine of how this story could have gone down. We don't have the weekdays, guys, so don't come asking me about it later. That's just like hypothetical. Uh, this could have happened in four days or five days. I think it's five days uh, for different reasons, and we can talk about that later. But look at this. On Monday, Mary and Martha sent this messenger to Beth Abara beyond Jordan, which is about 20 miles from Bethany about one day's journey, in haste, and the messenger comes to Jesus saying, Jesus, your friend Lazarus, whom you love, is ill. He might die. And then Jesus says this, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's the best news I could get. This means Lazarus is not going to die. So the messenger stays with Jesus, and the next day he goes back, and he comes back to a funeral. Not only has Lazarus died, but now he's doubting Jesus. Didn't Jesus say that this, this, this illness does not lead to death? That the Son of God is going to be glorified through it? 
And then to add insult to injury, Jesus does not return with the messenger and maybe could have saved Lazarus before dying. It's not exactly clear from the text, but it could be. He waits one extra day. He waits two extra days. And on Friday, he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And then he speaks to his disciples in plain language. He has died, but I go to awaken him. Jesus arrives in Bethany, and at this point, Lazarus' body is already decomposing. He waits two extra days. It's kind of like Elijah challenging Baal's prophets. Said, yeah, just, just add a bit more water. Just throw a bit more water on the sacrifice. Let's see how it goes. Jesus is raising the stakes. Why? Why is he raising the stakes? Because he wants us to believe. There's no faith in the room. Nobody believes that Jesus is going to do anything special. John makes this clear. Not only does Jesus wait two days, no, nobody actually expects him to be able to do this. Thomas, right before they leave from Bethabara to Bethany, says, all right, if we have to go, guys, let's just go and die with them. There's no hope in this. Probably the Pharisees are going to arrest us, and that's it. Let's just go with him. He's our friend. The Jews, when Jesus is standing at the grave weeping, see how he loved him. They're not expecting a miracle. They're looking at Jesus who's, who's mourning, Jesus who's grieving. And when Jesus says, take away the stone, what does Martha tell him? Lord, please don't make this worse. By now, his body is already rotting. It's decomposing. We, you can smell it from over here. You know, I think believing a miracle is not easy. And trickery was going on in the first century as it is today. And I think personal testimony is convincing. Maybe someone you know has experienced a miracle. Maybe you have experienced a miracle, and it's powerful to share that. Maybe medical records or pictures of a state before and after would be even more convincing. There are some ways that we can, to some degree, verify a miracle. But if you have a dead man, a proper funeral from a rabbi and burial Buried for four days, there's flesh rotting, it's locked by a massive boulder that needs several men to handle, plus there are many, many witnesses from Jerusalem who don't even believe in Jesus. That's when you have a pretty credible first century setup for a miracle, and I think Sherlock Holmes would agree. <laughs> Jesus is raising the stakes. Why? He wants us to believe. And then he makes this statement, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man is walking. What a powerful sign. And with this sign and this statement, Jesus is basically saying, and by saying, I am the resurrection and the life, what is he saying? He's saying, I am the problem and solution. I am the solution to the universal problem of death. I am the solution to this universal struggle against this arch enemy. Death was a burglar and I'm about to arrest him. And if you believe, you can share in my victory. If you believe, then you're on my team and my win is your win. 
And that's what he's inviting us into. When he's saying, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus is basically saying that everywhere I walk, everywhere I have room in your life, guys, the new creation has begun and resurrection music is heard. Come on. How many of you want to want resurrection music to be heard whenever you walk somewhere? How many of you want to hear that tune inside of your heart? There is hope where there is death because Jesus is in the room. It's powerful. Death is no longer an end. Jesus saying, I'm the resurrection and life. Death has become a doorway for us. What does that mean for me and for my life's priorities? What does that mean for my loved ones and people that I've, I've had to bury? And if you don't believe animals go to heaven, I don't even want to talk to you. <laughs> Living with the resurrection in mind is, is one of the single lenses that Paul uses to write his epistles to the early churches. What does it mean to live out of the resurrection, guys? Paul's constantly writing about that. So that's, that's one, Jesus is the resurrection. Two, we need to receive this good news and we need to believe. Some, when they saw this sign, did not believe. They were skeptic. We live in an age of skepticism, so we know what that's like. But the funny thing is, they asked exactly for this sign, according to Jesus. In Luke chapter 16, there's a story of the poor man Lazarus dying. I won't go into this whole story. We don't have time for that. He goes to heaven to be comforted or some type of resemblance of heaven. And the man, the rich man who, who neglected to take care of him in life, and by the way, just as a disclaimer, I don't think this parable is necessarily a travel brochure of afterlife destinations. I think the point of this story is to show this. The rich man who is in torment in that story, Luke chapter 16, says, Lord, please send Lazarus back from the dead. If he would come back from the grave, my brothers would believe him. The rich man, I would argue, is a rich Pharisee who Luke says were lovers of money. Please send, the, send Lazarus back and they'll believe. And the response is telling by Abraham in this story. They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't believe them, they won't believe even if someone comes back from the dead. But here, Lazarus is actually raised from the dead and comes back. And what do we see in John chapter 12, verse 10? So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Let's kill, the, let's kill Jesus and let's kill the sign. Unbelievable. Some did not believe. Why? Well, I think one reason is because ultimately, faith is not a matter of our eyes, but it's a matter of our hearts. And we need God to do this work in our hearts. The lure of power, national security, maybe money, it was like a dense ash cloud on the hearts of these religious Pharisees. And it led them to kill the greatest sign in the book of John. And in the end, 
God himself, the God whom they pretended to be serving. But some, guys, John says, some did believe. They allowed God to do a work in their hearts. They yielded to this work of God with faith. When confused, they followed on. When in lack of faith, they asked for more. How many of you need more faith in your life? Come on. When faced with a choice between possessions and power and God, they chose God. Through faith in the resurrection, we enter the kingdom of God, like Gandalf entering Moria by saying the elvish word for friend. Through faith in the resurrection, we enter the kingdom of God. We learn to reimagine our world along an axis of love and mercy. We become less transactional. And we do away with vengeance and killing of image bearers, waging war, survival of the fittest, oppressing poor people, living my best life at your expense. Come on. This is not resurrection life. I'm about to wrap up here. Um, in Jesus, we find the offer of resurrection from the dead. There is much more that can be said about this. Time that I do not have. Not because of Manuel. But what I do want to say is this. Jesus today is inviting us to believe and come out of the grave. And I want us to pray together for God to restore broken or dead areas in our life. Or for the very first time for us to receive and to proclaim faith in the resurrection together. Can we do that? I'll just lead us into a prayer. Maybe you want to stand up and pray with me. If you want, you can raise, hold out your hands like this as if, you're, as if you want to receive, if you want that. Lord Jesus, help us to believe. Help your people to believe in your resurrection. Let the new life that we have in you be the single lens through which we live our life and look at our neighbors. Look at the problems in the world that are overgrowing us. The challenges of life that have overcome me. Jesus, raise me to life. Let me stand and live in the resurrection that you attained. I believe in your resurrection, Jesus. I pray, God, wherever we've lost, restore to us now. Wherever we have thought things are just hopeless, like the grave, bring hope. Shout to our hearts, come forth. Life, sprout forth. Areas where there's depression or fear 
or too much shame because what I've done now can never be forgiven. And we just need to hear you say today, I forgive you. Pray, Jesus, for the new world to shine through, the hope of resurrection to shine through us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.